Hello, and welcome to Hard Fried History, a hybrid history and comedy podcast run by two aspiring entertainers. Podcast is more of a rant, really. That have failed at almost everything else. I don't fail because I don't try, so there. We appreciate you checking us out, and if you want to see extra content, follow us on Instagram or give us a like on Facebook at Hard Fried History. Subscribe to us on YouTube or tell us we're full of shit on Twitter at, at HFH Podcast. If you like going that extra mile, give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening and leave us a a flattering a glowing review and of course tell your friends family and even people you don't like about us that's right again thank you for listening and without further ado the episode What's up, everybody? Hey, <laughs> <Okay. All right. laughs> how's it going? We're doing it. We're here. Here we are. Sorry, I missed yeah. last week. I have been, I've been, I've been in it, man. No uh, one cares. You just, I'm back like you from just told it, the teacher. I, 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 you know, I was like veering on the abyss, and I came, I came back, I came back from it. But uh, <laughs> we got a good one for you. The wait has been worth it. I promise you. We are, we're going for it. Osama bin Laden. All mm-hmm. right. And I watched the. I hope you've seen it. If you have, good. If you haven't, I don't know. You, you're. I don't know if you're missing much, honestly. But the Breaking Point documentary on Netflix. It was good, but there's a lot of stuff that was untouched, obviously. But it was like advertised as the real story, almost like they were gonna tell you everything, but uh, yeah, they didn't. You know, they didn't. They, didn't they really left a deep. lot out. And I kind of want to to talk yeah. about the nitty gritty, you know? Yeah. yeah, no, it's yeah, no, it's uh, that that two hour drama, that mm-hmm. two hour <laughs> mm-hmm. couldn't mm-hmm. cover the true complexities, and we're gonna miss things here too. But we are, yeah, we are, we are, <laughs> right? Um, but and then we have a uh, real quick up top sources: uh, Ghost Wars by Steve Cole, very yep. good book, two thousand and four, which we use for the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan episode. Yep. I'm not going to talk about all that stuff. Just listen to that episode if you're curious. And then the Looming Tower by Lawrence Wright, I believe two thousand and seven, republished two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. This one's also been made into a HBO series, I believe, but I've heard it's bad. So I don't know. Oh, that's like Homeland. <laughs> what that was about? Oh. A, I think so. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is, I think it's literally called the the looming tower. Oh, there's like, something called the looming tower. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's it's not. My dad told me it's not good. But <laughs> okay. Anyway, here we go. So, Act One, revival. Right. And we're not actually going to start with Osama bin Laden himself. We're going to talk about the 1950s. Um, there's this like late 1940s. This guy, Syed Qutb, who is exiled mm-hmm. from Egypt by King Farouk, who was like a British. Uh, stooge and he goes to America and he experiences America he experiences New York DC and then Greeley Colorado and he comes back when like shortly after Nasser takes power and he his writings about America start to circulate around Egypt and then more broadly uh, around the Middle East and he describes us as just about as decadent and sex obsessed and indulgent as as you can imagine he would and he says, there's one, one line in there where he says, a white man in Europe or America is our number one enemy. And he portrays materialism as the true American God and all, argues that like all true Muslims should join Hezbollah or, or the party of God. I believe the book is either called Signposts or Milestones. And honestly, I want to read it. If somebody could <laughs> send me a copy, please, please do so. Um... I'll give you my address. I, I want this thing. And he went to like America in the fifties when they were like the people say we're sex obsessed now, but like yeah. you, know, you gotta think about like they just had Marilyn Monroe in the fifties just standing over a hot drain. And that was so. like sexy yeah. to them. And that's a weird that's a weird place. 
<laughs> yeah, what what were the number one movies in in 1951? I don't I don't want to know cuz I When did they, Singing in the Rain come out? That's I what I'm wanting to know, you know. I don't do <laughs> Let me see. I actually do do like a lot of LA noir 1952. Films. And like the, the early 50s, late 40s is like great time for that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, in it, he also writes that he's not necessarily opposed to modern technology, but rather the the worship of science. So he kind of leaves the door open to modernization in a, a uniquely Islamic way. It's a, it's a it's very funny. It's interesting when people do that. I, when I in the books I read about Saudi Arabia, like they would have like kind of you know the serious like discussions about like like what was like what was haram and what was allowed. And like it would, it would get fuzzy around like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like oh, yeah. is a is a uh, is a megaphone allowed? <laughs> that is not that was not during the time of Muhammad in the Wahhabiest sense, right? Right. Uh, but it does l- let you get the message out, so then yep. that's all right. Can you can you? The question is, can you find a hadith that yeah. allows for megaphones? Right. Yeah. yeah. October of 1954, there is an attempted uh, assassination of Nasser, and Syed Qutb is implicated in the plot, and he is subsequently jailed. So now this guy's been jailed. Of course, his, his book's going to take off, right? More people yeah. are going to... You, you just put this guy in prison, you just try to kill the the president who just took power in a coup? Yeah, I want to read his stuff, you know? Yeah. So there are growing tensions between the Muslim Brotherhood and Nasser, and it kind of broadly reflects the question whether Egypt would become uh, more pious or more Islamic or remain secular, as was Nasser's intent. Yeah, with the Muslim Brotherhood, that old, that organization from the 20s, that's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, apparently, like, it's it's conservative Islamic thought, but like, with the organizing principles in the 20s yeah. of like, the of like, the communists, of like, the fascist like organizing principles. Yeah, it's a, it's a very it's interesting. It's a very re- reacting to to the British and British hegemony. Yeah. And, yeah, but yeah, but still taking these kind of these, these organizing principles and using them in a different way. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So now it's either 1957 or I think Lawrence Wright says January of 1958. Osama bin Laden, OBL, UBL is born to Aliyah Gollum, who is age 14 years old, and uh, Mohammed bin Awud bin Laden, who is a construction tycoon. Uh, the company that he owned is a subsidi- subsidiary of Aramco. He's very close to the emerging Saudi royal family. He had 54 children from 22 wives, of which uh, Osama bin Laden was the 17th. So, the you know, your classic 17th son complex, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know how it goes, right? Yeah, no, no, I, no, I get it. Just, just a swath of middle children, right? Yeah, it's a lot of kids. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of kids to have to eat after to get beat up by. Yep, that's a lot. I wonder how many he was beaten up after him. And an internal economy of hand me downs, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, the, uh, like what they say about like the Bin Laden, like family like like why they got so why that guy with the the elder bin laden the patriarch bin laden he why he got so popular with like the saudi royal family is that he would just like actually do the job like he would yeah. actually like when he built it he was it was well built yeah like and it was done good and they were like fuck they he didn't cut any corners which was nope like, nope no substitute no substitute right which was like apparently like a lot of other people did so yeah that's why it was just a good builder like mm-hmm. like actually a really good one Osama bin Laden was raised in Jeddah, which is the commercial center of Saudi Arabia. I think that's also where Mohammed bin Awad bin Laden was primarily centered, because that, that would make, make sense. Abdulaziz dies in 53. His eldest son, King Saud, takes power, and he takes it upon himself to renovate the kingdom, because you need a statement. You know, once you take power, you need something. People are going to remember my reign. Here we go. And he, uh, King Saud relies heavily on bin Laden, the senior, the elder, Mohammed bin mm-hmm. Laden, to build the infrastructure of the state. The Saudi bin Laden group, which is what the company kind of morphs into, mm-hmm. to, to give you an idea of how, how high esteem, in what high esteem they were held, they renovate the Grand Mosque in Mecca, which yeah. is a big deal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to yeah. put, like, that's like the highest honor in Saudi Arabia, basically. It was like, that. that's like his, uh, bin Laden's dad's, like, or the, the company's, like, that's like their moment of, of fruition after all these mm-hmm. years of like build mm-hmm. doing good work, 
being like I think they were like super pious, like you know, the the patriarch was kind of really pious, and everybody liked him doing all that shit for years, and then you get to once you work on the grand mosque in Mecca, like you don't. Yeah. That's that's a credit you live off for years, stuff. Yeah, man, you're you're <laughs> like, done. You can kind of check out of life, you know. Yeah. You're just like I've done what I was meant to on this earth. This is my crowning accomplishment, you know. It's a big one. 1960s. There's kind of broader polarization of Afghanistan because we are going to talk about Afghanistan and the Taliban over the course of this series. Uh, question of whether it would become communist or remain Islamic, and a lot of this is centered on Kabul University. Both sides are building up their cells. August 29th of 1966. Uh, after Saudi Arabia covertly supplied Saeed Qutb and people in his orbit with money and arms, uh, Qutb gets snitched on and put to death by the Egyptian government, and, uh, and then he's like subsequently martyred. Uh, martyred rather, yeah. he, his name is like now known across the Middle East, and it's like okay, well, you know, martyr martyrdom has its own yeah, its own thing behind it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. One of uh, one of the guys who who was inspired by the martyrdom of Syed Kitab is the Egyptian man who's age 15 at this time, Amin al-Zawairi. He decides to form his own cell in Egypt with the goal of eventually establishing a, a more Islamic nation in place of the current secular government of, of Egypt. Yeah, this is it's a weird time. and Not a weird time, but it's the Cold War in Saudi Arabia mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as they kind, of, they kind of think of themselves as the protectors of Islam. Um, yeah, there a lot of they're like <laughs> they, this is the, the time when they're cause like particularly like the more secular governments, Egypt and Syria, they were you know they cracking like they were having they were kind of fighting with these more conservative elements. Saudi Arabia is in there like we're the protector of Islam, but also this can work as our like foreign path, foreign policy strategy, like have a proxy in Egypt. So yeah. we're like we're gonna support all of these more more conservative, more uh, Islamist movements. Movements. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I the, see. That, yeah. that's kind of a uh, that's interesting because it's just what like the U.S. and Russia were doing the same thing on yeah. an international scale, and China was doing its own thing regionally. And it's interesting to see Saudi Arabia is also doing its own thing regionally. It's almost uh, the Muslim Brotherhood would be a proxy of a proxy, huh. like in that the Saudi Arabia being the U.S.'s kind of proxy power yeah. in the Middle East is then supplying another proxy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe that's the wrong way to think about it. Too too Eurocentric. Maybe think about it just yeah. different little pieces. On, I don't know. But yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> it's all good. No, it's cool. Nineteen sixty seven. So the year after the death of Saeed Qutb, uh, Mohammed bin Laden dies, and Osama. I think he would be what like ten years old. He goes to school in Jeddah. Mohammed bin Laden marries. Osama's mother, Aliyah, off to Muhammad al-Atas, who was just one of the dudes that he worked with. Osama goes to live with them. He becomes like the oldest, quote-unquote, third parent to his half-siblings, and allegedly he really liked the show Bonanza. Bonanza was his favorite TV show until he experiences like a religious awakening at like age 14, like 1972, and it's becomes a, like very pious. Stops watching Bonanza. It's a really good show. It's a good show. It's a it's a, just a western, just a repeat western. Just a it's fun a, time, you just, know. Just uh, just we're gonna fucking just load it up. They're uh-huh. gonna have these problems that we've listed on a whiteboard. There's like a hundred problems, and they're just shooting them out episode. episode. Sounds sounds fun. I want. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I wish I I have had seen it before yeah. we recorded. <laughs> particular particularly in Jeddah. Because of like all of the because you know you have these secular governments again in like Egypt and Syria, those uh, Saudi Arabia is acting as like you can come to Saudi Arabia. So like all of these yeah. more uh, conservative uh, Islamist people in like who were teachers in in Egypt and in Syria, I think I talked about it on the last episode, would mm-hmm. come to the Eastern Jeddah, Mecca, yeah. Medina, all to teach. So he's growing up in a place that's becoming more. It's like getting a steady flow of outsiders who are also of of people who can't make it and not people who are like driven from wherever yeah, they driven. were, you know. So they've got some they've got some, <laughs> some 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 hot takes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 1974, Osama bin Laden, uh, OBL, 
he's age 16, 17. He marries his first wife. He joins the Muslim Brotherhood, which is an underground movement goal of establishing, uh, I'm sorry, the Muslim Brothers, different organization okay. than the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, underground movement goal of establishing an Islamic state. One of his teachers in high school was Ahmed Badib, who goes on to head the Saudi Arabian GID, was very close to Prince Turkey al-Faisal. So there's this early connection here. And then surely, with with how close Mohammed bin Laden was with the Saudi royal family, just building up their infrastructure, there's no reason why his children wouldn't also kind of cavort with the children of the royal family. It's very easy to imagine, you know? Yeah, it's a the, the, the Saudi, a Saudi structure, the way the... The, the kind of class situation, the structure. There's stuff below it, but that upper crust is very mm-hmm, small. Mm-hmm. There's different families, you know, the Saud family, a couple of different like other minor families. And if you're rich and you're like the builders of all that shit, you're gonna be within. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 1976, uh, OBL enters King Abdulaziz University in Jeddah, and many of the professors, again, like you were saying, were people who were driven from anywhere else for, in some cases, being too radical. Um, a lot of guys from the Muslim Brotherhood who had been run out of Egypt or Syria, one of whom I believe was was uh, exiled from Palestine, was this guy Abdullah Azam, who's like a Palestinian scholar slash sheikh and Gunshots. also the, the co-founder of Hamas. Gunshots. Gunshots. <laughs> my man. My, not the, that's, wait, that's not gunshots in support. Don't put me on a list. But, All right. <laughs> but like they would just talk about like him him being like, like so he was like, he was, he was, he was like an actual like fighter who had been on the front lines who was too like he was like didn't agree with the rest of the PLO because they weren't Islamist enough for him. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. And like he would just be telling you stories about fighting. It it was it must have been crazy to be educated by somebody like who's like yeah. I lived the shit. I lived Who's's all been the shit. There. I saw it go down, man. <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you, all right. Another guy who is uh who Osama bin Laden has access to is the lectures of Mohammed Qutb, who is the younger brother of Syed Qutb. He lectured once a week at the university. And there's kind of a growing schism, really, in- internally within the Islamic community as to the militancy of Qutb's writings. There's a schism between Qutb and then the, the primary writer in opposition is Hassan Hudaybi, who's much more moderate and much more tolerant and he published his own book called Preachers, Not Judges, to kind of counter Qutb's writing and be like, yo, um, Muhammad was talking about an ideological battle here. We need to debate. We need to discuss. You know, he's got different ideas that aren't as, like, hardcore. Yeah, I think when people talk about religion, specifically they talk about Islam a lot, they, like, do not acknowledge that there are, like, these schisms that are happening yeah, within the religion yeah. themselves. It's like crazy. Exactly. Like, a lot of debates are happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. in every community. Every community, yeah. And OBL himself was actually, Lawrence Wright says that he was initially drawn to Hudaybi, and something changes his mind along the way. November 20th of 1979, there's the assault at the Grand Mosque at Mecca by Juhayman or Juhayman al-Utaybi, and members of the Bin Laden family actually helped put it down with the help of French officers under this guy, Count Claude Alexandre de Marinche. They, like, gas the people inside with non, non-lethal gas in order to, to put this down. But it's like, what the fuck are the... The French just pop up. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. The French don't just pop up. Let me let me make sure of what I'm talking about before. Give me one second on this. Okay. Yeah, so... That guy is not just any French intelligence officer. That is the that's the French like spy master, like yeah, Ooh. he's the guy who creates the <laughs> Safari Club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, which is like a yeah, yeah. So like, just he, just a boy living his his no, Hemingway no. best life, you know, mm, right? Mm, mm. By this time, no? that dude has a crazy like mustache. <laughs> like, yeah, that dude is yeah, that dude's the <laughs> fucking up shit out. all over the world for 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 years by this point. Claude <laughs> Alexandre de Marinche. Let me see this guy. Does he have badass facial hair? Uh no, he doesn't. He doesn't have that badass face. He looks he looks kind of like Dulles, only with uh with bogged down eyebrows. Yeah, he's one of those guys. I think I referenced him in like the the, the one of the episodes of the Saudi royal family, but it's just like. 
yeah, dude, there's just these spy masters behind yep. that are like involved in weaving through everything. Oh, I just popped up. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a no. like a villain in a Charlie Chaplin movie yeah. or something. Yeah. Or like a, a alternate version of Charlie Chaplin. It looks funny. It's just all these weird or like the penguin or something. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, he has a, he has to have a, like the, he has the weird graying on the yeah, side. Yeah, yeah, the, the wings. Yeah, yeah, Doug. <laughs> this gets us into Act Two, uh, Test of Faith. So December of nineteen seventy nine, the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan begins. We've already done a whole episode on it. If you want that, go back listen to that one. Yeah, nineteen eighty. OBL graduates from the university and the Saudi bin Laden group it has an office in Egypt because again he still does have connections and has been working for his father's company throughout this time why wouldn't yeah. he? you know they've got an office in Egypt and it's known as a as a funnel for Muslims who wanted to fight in Afghanistan yeah. and OBL is paying their way like a lot of these guys kind of stop through his apartment at Jeddah so there's some some accounts say that OBL went straight there, and I think that's what he told people because it makes it seem more like, oh, I've been there since day one. But yeah. I don't think so. I don't think I don't think he got there till like '84. Yeah, he doesn't. He like, but he was con- still working on it. You know, I I, I thought like I I may have misread. Uh, yeah, he was he was like just a facilitator for a mm-hmm, good amount mm-hmm. of time, and then he yep. started to feel bad. Yeah, he started to feel like shit. Yeah. Because he, he was you know, he, and then he goes to actually be in Afghanistan. Um, and it's like it's you were talking about it earlier, like him being like this pious kid, like he's like a good, he's like a very, kind of a more westernized kid. Then he became a pious guy. Yep. And I remember like they talked about him in college, being like he was the most pious of the pious friends. Like he yeah. was having the pious conversations all yeah. the fucking time. And then now he's in, he facilitates and then goes to Afghanistan after a while. Yeah. They they mentioned that in the in the documentary the uh, I think it's Osama's hard drive, which is like kind of covers the last ten years of his life and what he was doing in Abbottabad, yeah. and they kind of posit that that was like that became a mask. The piety became a mask for insanity, um, but I mean we'll we'll get into it. Yeah, I guess I already picked up. And the so he starts to feel bad. The Saudi royal family and his mother both don't want him to go initially. The you know his mother obviously because she's worried about him, but Saudi royal family in particular because it might if he's like discovered if he's found out it's gonna tip the Saudi Arabia's hand as to who where their loyalties lie in this fight and it's against the Soviets. Again, inside the kingdom by Robert Lacey, I read on on the Saudi royal family. If you uh-huh. want to learn how the Saudis, how much how, how much they would go through to facilitate, like who, like uh-huh. how much they were doing to, to send money to Afghanistan, but like through two intermediaries. Yeah, like, they have, I can't remember exactly how it's set up, but it's an interesting little like oh. Y'all didn't want people to know, but it wasn't that much. <laughs> it wasn't that much of a secret. Yeah, you, know, you guys yeah. are still yeah, and OBL is one of one of those intermediaries. Yeah, September of 1984 Lawrence Wright tells it that while on the Hajj both OBL and Abdullah Azam who since the war started became like an international itinerant preacher and he would like help inspire young men to go fight in the war he would speak of the miracles happening in Afghanistan and this is one of the front lines of God's God's last battles on earth and you need to go get in on the action right while on the Hajj they agree to play a more substantial role in the war, like training and equipping and like underwriting the expenses of the Mujahideen. They get back to Pakistan and co-found the Afghan Services Bureau, or Maktab al-Kidamat, in the university town of Peshawar. And a lot of like, you know, a lot is going on in the university town of Peshawar. Peshawar is like right on the border yeah. of Afghanistan, Afghanistan being west of Pakistan, and this is, you know, a lot of action is always taking place on college campuses. You know, this is where, like, a lot of debates and a lot of, you can meet a lot of people here because there are professors and diplomats who are coming to speak at events because it's a university, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of lot of uh, traffic in, yeah. in uh, Peshawar at this time. Yeah. 
He's funneling cash to the Mujahideen, some of it from uh, Prince Turkey, Ahmed, Badib, and the GID, and he would he would know some ISI guys, which is Pakistan's intelligence service as well, because they were also in Peshawar, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the I'm pretty sure the, the Saudi Arabian government and the ISI were, like, directly, co- like, yeah, everybody yeah, directly they're... cooperating, like, to, like, fuck over the, the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah. 1984, the specific role he played initially after he gets like, he's in, you know, he's in Pakistan. He's kind of popping over the border in Afghanistan. uh, Yeah. Into Afghanistan His initial forays, 1984 to 1986, Turkey, Badib and uh, Osama bin Laden are meeting with the ISI and other top dogs again. And they're using Osama's construction connections through his father's company uh, his bulldozers and his equipment and whatnot to like build roads and tunnels and caches inside of the mountains. Because one yeah. of the strategies that the Soviets would do is they knew that if they attacked places like um, closer to the border of Pakistan, that the refugee flow into Pakistan would disrupt their supply lines. And so they're using Osama's equipment in order to like rebuild these supply supply lines and push, push back the Russians, the Soviets. And this is also a war that have features heavily like helicopters. Yeah. So, and the, it's not on the Taliban side. Let's put it. Yeah. Well, that changes. Oh, well, I mean, they get the rockets, right? Yeah, they, they get yeah, the stingers. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they get the stingers. But not till 86, which we'll, yeah. we'll talk about. Um, or we talked about it in the other episode. Never mind. Yeah. February 1st of 1986, this is the birth of the CIA's counterterrorism center to the guys associated with it is Dewey, Claridge, and William Casey, and initially they focused primarily on secular leftist groups like the Basque Separatists, the IRA, and the PLO, and they just get like a little blip on their radar, which is the Islamic Salvation Foundation in Peshawar. Uh, Osama's been spreading money around the area, and there are initial discussions. You know, he's also he's got money, he's got connections, yeah. he's building up training camps. Maybe we maybe we help him out. Yeah. Maybe we throw him some money. Maybe we throw him some equipment. Maybe he's we see what he can what he can do. You know, he's got construction equipment as well. That that people seem to be using it. That that can't can't hurt, right? Yeah, my man. Uh, if there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I if in terms of like the general arc of people that they have sent money to, like the CIA mm-hmm, sent mm-hmm. money to, he was not somebody <laughs> they were concerned about at all. They were gonna send him. Yeah, if yeah. they wanted to send him money, they would. <laughs> they would have. Yeah. They had no qualms about it. <laughs> no. July of 1986, Milton Bearden, who is the guy from the the Breaking Point documentary, he's like the CIA expert. They they call in. I got some problems. Don't. Okay. First of all. Don't trust the guy who worked for the CIA. You yeah, know, you just as kind of a general <laughs> rule. It's a, it's a hard. They are liars. Like you know, it's a hard thing to like. They be they do be smooth having them on CNN and then uh-huh, MSNBC uh-huh, and Fox mm-hmm. News if you watch Fox News, and yep. they you just be looking at and they just tell you things and yep. like wasn't your whole job to lie to me, dog? <laughs> Isn't that what you got paid big dollars <laughs> to do? Right? You Isn't that what you do? got paid my tax dollars to do? Is lie to me? What are you? Did, didn't, didn't now you're on the did, news. What are you? <laughs> didn't you like fuck up Zimbabwe once? Just like fucked up. <laughs> like, yeah, just with it, lies. <laughs> like, I can put you in like a room with some unsavory dudes, and I don't know. And I don't know. I don't know. Nah, man. Yeah, they, yeah. This, yeah, yeah. I, they, you know, they, they finessable with the truth. I yeah, mean, you know, he's he's telling you about like like two iterations down from the truth, but FBI. it's been, yeah, <laughs> like, like yeah. all right, well, let's not let's, let's keep going. anyway. Okay. Milton Bearden, July nineteen eighty six, he becomes the CIA station chief at Islamabad, which is the capital of Pakistan. Uh, around the same time, Osama relocates his family to Saudi Arabia to Peshawar, uh, which is uh, to give you an idea, Islamabad is about a two to three hour drive away from Peshawar and he's living at University Town, which again, University Town is close to aid groups, charities, diplomats, uh, Afghan exiles and Arab preachers all live there. It's not impossible to imagine a meeting between Milton Bearden and Osama bin Laden. Yeah. They're close enough. They are already talking about maybe giving him money. I wonder I think we should ask him, but 
you know, I don't know. I that's mean, on I, you. I don't think, yeah, I don't think he. I, yeah, all right, let's move on. <laughs> this is also where Osama bin Laden in University Town meets Ayman Al Zawahiri, who he was trained as a doctor. And he, again, from Egypt, he had gone to Afghanistan and was working as a doctor in 79, basically, as soon yeah. as soon as the as the call was was administered was mm-hmm. he, he answered the bugle, you know, yeah. um, there are a lot of guys in the fighting on the war who are also like on Osama bin Laden's payroll. And that's kind of through the Afghan services bureau. And so they kind of, you know. He's a guy who pays their bills. Right? Yeah. They're they're living expenses, so they kind of like his his presence is is enhanced. You know, I'm saying through the first amount of that, like through eighty four, eighty six, is where it starts getting weird. It starts he starts actually mm-hmm. being on the battlefield, yep. but like yeah. for the first, he always has this role as this like just a facilitator because he yeah. has connections. He's and the money those, man. And then once he has the connections and actually done the thing, then he's the guy that's done all this. He's done all this shit. And it just kind of it rolls downhill, like yeah. you, you're 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 a stone gathering moss. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this time the moth the moss is clout as a as a jihadi. Or a as mujahid. a jihadi, that's right. <laughs> you're you're the guy they all defer to. Yeah. And he starts to cross the so he was doing that facilitator role from Jeddah, yeah, and then from Peshawar, and then like I can't place exactly when he starts foraying into the into the war the other side. Into the Afghanistan, you know, across the Afghanistan-Pakistan border, he focuses on the parrot's beak. Which, if you look at the, if you look at Afghanistan on a map, just Google Maps it, and look at Pakistan, there's like a little inlet. There's like a little kind of crag in that border that divots into Afghanistan. If you know, from Pakistan's perspective, yeah, that's where it is. That's where Osama bin Laden is around. He wants to build up a hospital at Jaji which is right on the Afghan side of the Parrot's Beak with an accompanying training camp that he would lead. And his base is either called Al-Ansar, which is the name of the first followers of the Prophet Muhammad, or Masada, which is Lion's Den. And it's man-made caves and tunnels and everything where him and the dudes on his payroll and presumably uh, Zawairi and Azam are, are posted up with them in there. They're, again, playing that facilitator role, but now they're in Afghanistan. But things are much worse elsewhere. I, I, I read in one of these that the Mujahideen, or Mujahideen don't entirely consider the Pakistani volunteers jihadists because they're, again, they're not on the front lines. They're still hugging the Pakistan border where it's like, you know where this war is? Like, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so much broader than just Pakistan, right? Yeah. It's way worse elsewhere. That reputation starts to change around April 17th of 1987. Osama leads an attack on the on an Afghan government outpost at Coast, which is south of Jaji, but still kind of near it. Uh, Soviets pursue, and there are airstrikes at Jaji, uh, followed by like Spetsnaz forces. And Osama and his band of about like 50 jihadists are kind of holding out there. They're yeah. forced to abandon the lion's den. But ultimately, the Spetsnaz, these special elite Russian Marines, retreat. And this is one of the things that now transforms Osama. Uh, and he, he starts getting this growing reputation as like, oh, this is a warrior, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is, it's, and can you leave that alone? Yeah. Can you stop doing that? <laughs> you got the rush, man. It feels good, doesn't it? You know? No, yeah. I remember this. There was this. There was, uh, a Restrepo, which is like, uh, there's a documentary about like Afghanistan. Uh, I think that's, I think this is the one, or Camp Restrepo. I just remember this, this, this kid, like, he was like at this Afghanistan, U.S. Army soldier at this Afghanistan, like outpost in the middle of nowhere in the Korangal Valley. And he was just like, yeah, man, I get excited when I hear the shooting. And I get excited in during this during like the shooting and stuff, and I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to like have another thrill like this in my life. I don't know if I can like he like he said something like that. I was like, that's weird. But yeah. Osama, I feel like he he has a similar yeah <laughs> thing that he feels good, man. Yeah. I don't know. It's like a drug. You yeah, know? It feels, uh, it's adrenaline. Feels it is a drug. Right? It's yeah. like yeah. doing a shit ton of adrenaline, mm-hmm. escaping death again and again Nothing. and again Nothing. and again and. A, Nothing yeah. feels feels good anymore. The only yeah. thing that feels good is, is killing. Yeah. <laughs> you, ever, you ever know what it's like to 
Watch the law. <laughs> okay, okay you can't do that with that face, big dog. You can't do that with that face. <laughs> May of 1988, there's a Soviet withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mujahideen leaders start preparing for it's. I think it doesn't occur till like February of 1989, like the final withdrawal. But this is May of 1988 is when it begins. Mujahideen leaders start preparing for war against each other, naturally. And as a little like backstory, from 1986, 1984 really beginning, Abdul Azam again taught Osama in high school and had since fell into his orbit. Um, they, they, had, they had reached some opposite conclusions in like 1986 there started to be a schism you know there were all these debates going on around university town like who is the real enemy of jihad and who is the real enemy of islam and so they kind of start to have a falling out because they have different different ideas and yeah. then throughout this there uh Ayman al-zawahiri he's got there are like other egyptians in osama's orbit who kind of defer to zawahiri so there's a different there's a different clique, and both Abdullah Azam and Zawahiri have different designs on Osama bin Laden. Like, the first wants to use the Afghan camps to train Hamas members and then take Hamas back to Palestine to fight the PLO, while Zawahiri wants to launch a coup in Egypt ASAP and install an Islamic government, which is which could be then the center of of a potential caliphate. So they're kind of both, and Osama's the guy with the money, right? Yeah. And so it's like they both have different ideas of what they want to do with with Osama. You know, what mm-hmm. way can we sway him, right? But there are at odds. And then there's also like, uh, Zawahiri starts, starts saying that Azam is like a CIA stooge and starts like spreading those yeah. rumors that one of, the, one of the charities or foundations that Azam was involved in was like a CIA front. And so there's, you yeah. know, there's rumors going back and forth, conflict. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 interesting that like also it's like you, you think about somebody getting out of a war, right? And they're like about to be done with the war, and then it's always like there's like the last episode of Band of Brothers. Yeah, it's like all right, what are we gonna do after this war now? Mm-hmm, and some people mm-hmm. are like, I got this opportunity, I got this thing. But for Osama bin Laden, it was just a bunch of opportunities. Like, do you want to fucking be a jihadi over here? Like, yeah, you want to be a jihadi and then search that glory and that sense of thrill that you after? Yeah, do you man. want that, or do you want to go back and you know work at your father's, work at yeah. work at the the you family? You want to work for your father's the construction fa- company, yeah. or do you want to make something of yourself? <laughs> you know, <laughs> okay. do you want to be a jihadi for in, in a holy war on the mm-hmm. side of God, leading leading the the warriors of God, or mm-hmm. do you want to build? Uh, you want to build model homes outside of outside of Riyadh. <laughs> you want to build model homes that look suspiciously like suburban homes in like Katy. Yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> that look exactly, suspiciously exactly like the thinking. American suburban sprawl. You know <laughs> that are specifically this style that you hate. You know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that gets us into Act Three. Spreading his wings. <laughs> oh, August twentieth, I'm gonna 19- end up in a room with some FBI agents, and they just be like, "What did you mean by spreading his wings? What did you mean by spreading? What do you mean like, by that? You know, he gets on a plane, right? Um, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And I'm just like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, dude. I don't know. Like, I don't. <laughs> like, what the, you the war transforms him and he decides what he wants to do with his life and he uh, pursues his ambition and then there's just like one, the other FBI agent is like 299 people died 2,996 yes, people died on I 9-11 <laughs> he just keeps I repeating know. it, just yes. repeating it. <laughs> <laughs> you just are like I'm, it's a podcast 2,996 yeah. you see people. what I was trying to do I'm trying to like do out the acts but use like religious imagery and everything that way it's people. like uh yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah, that's what that, I have nightmare the book getting interviewed by the FBI all the time. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, it would be a it would be a hell of a rubber stamp, right? I would <laughs> yeah, be. yeah, yeah, yeah. So August twentieth of nineteen eighty eight, Al Qaeda is formed, and uh, Abdul Azam he's he's kind of the guy who is credited with like coming up with the name because his line of thinking went like the reason Al Qaeda roughly translates into solid base. You know, is the idea that this is like this is the core. This is the brotherhood uh, from which will sprout this this tree 
of of a, a caliphate, you know? Mm-hmm. This is the base from which we will build a, a pure and holy Islamic society. So, And they kind of do so. They already have, like, the existing uh, bureaucracy or network through the Afghan Services Bureau, yeah. and they kind of, like, fold that in with their other contacts and form al-Qaeda. Same month, August 1988, there's a U.S. special envoy recently appointed, relatively, uh, Edmund McWilliams, who is surveying the situation. Uh, he gets the impression, he just, he's just going out and he's talking to people. He's talking to people. He's figuring out what the hell is going on. He gets the impression, Heck Matyar is backed by Pakistan and consolidating power. He's crushing dissenters and taking out his rivals, and the news is bad. And meanwhile, the CIA is increasing uh, increasing cash payments to Massoud. Osama bin Laden's territory is south of the Parrot's Beak. Hekmatyar is based in Peshawar. Abdullah Azam initially backs Hekmatyar. And then he's trying to broker a truce. Under those auspices, he walks like, it's him and one other guy, and they walk like eight days through the mountains. Jesus. Yeah, and they visit Masood. And then Azam very publicly switches to Masood. Like during their meeting, he very complimentary, like compares Masood to Napoleon. And then he starts, again, very public nature of his, of his switching. He travels around Saudi Arabia and Kuwait, and in one of them, he's credited to have said, like, I have seen the future of Afghan jihad, and it is Masood. So it is no secret that he's like, no, Masood. Heck, not Hekmatyar, Masood. Fall. Of 1989, Osama bin Laden gets back to Saudi Arabia. He's uh, preaching against the U.S. initially, and initially he calls at this stage uh, relatively minor, just like a boycott, right? Yeah. But backing up a little bit, uh, July of 1989, in North Afghanistan, Hekmatyar's forces ambush a group of Massoud's commandos. They kill like 30 of his officers, including eight of Massoud's top guys, and he launches a, a counter assault and this kind of like broadens broadens the war reopened it turns us into a more more bloody civil war and osama bin laden you know there's polarization between the two different camps osama bin laden gravitates toward hekmatyar then on the 29th of november of 1989 a car bomb kills azam and everyone is under suspicion like under uh, you know he's a founder co-founder of hamas so he's kind of upset israel hekmatyar didn't like his flip to masood and I believe had already tried to assassinate him, but failed. But then again, Zawairi had been stoking rumors that he was a CIA stooge, and they were they were at odds against each other inside of Osama's clique and inside of Al-Qaeda, so it could have been Zawairi trying to take out a rival. I tend to think it was either Hekmatyar or uh, Zawairi. Yeah, it's, yeah, it could have been, it, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, it, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of suspects. Yeah, for sure. He made, yeah. made too many enemies, you know. A lot of a lot of people with the means and mm-hmm. the motive. Yeah, yeah. If but also if you were gonna be with Masood, you you could have you could have flipped to Masood, and maybe things would have worked out much different. I, I actually don't know. I don't know. In the spring of 1990, there are CIA agents in Afghanistan. They get whiff that the ISI was pursuing its own plan of installing Hekmatyar as the new leader of Afghanistan. And Osama bin Laden had been helping fund his rise and rule at this point. He's committed millions of dollars to Hekmatyar and to Afghanistan generally and is working with the ISI. There's also talks, and this is kind of crazy to me, because it's like, what was going on inside of Pakistan at this time? There's talk between the ISI and Osama if he would provide money, to uh, bribe money, to help foster a vote of no confidence against the then president of Pakistan, Benazir Bhutto. So there's our, there are designs, okay? <laughs> And then shortly after this, August of 1990, uh, Saddam Hussein's force move into Kuwait. The U.S. is worried about him taking over the eastern province of Saudi Arabia, which again is like very oil-rich. Secretary of Defense Dick Cheney and General Norman Schwarzkopf meet with King Fahd. King Fahd tells him, please help us out. Field troops, ASAP. We need to drive this madman out of here. And so you have the commencement of the first Persian Gulf. Is it the first or the second? Persian Gulf, right? First, yeah, first. First, okay. 
October of 1990, in order to make money, in order to field those troops, you get it. You got to find it from the budget somewhere, right? So congressional funding for Afghani ventures are slashed by 60 percent, about 288 million dollars there. The Pressler Amendment ends USAID to Pakistan because I think they like announced that they're like, oh yeah, we have nukes now too. So we just attained <laughs> nuclear capabilities in the press yeah. room. Like, okay, well, you're, you're sanctioned. You can't, we didn't say this was okay. You know? yeah. And so then they take that money and direct it towards Saudi Arabia and, and the Persian Gulf, fielding troops in the Persian Gulf. Okay. So the same month, the CIA station, I think at, at Islamabad, reports a bunch of trucks carrying Pakistani rockets across the border at Peshawar, heading toward Kabul to help Hekmatyar. So it's interesting to see that it's like, okay, now that the U.S. has pulled all of its money and resources out of Afghanistan, we'll go ahead and, and help our guy Hekmatyar take Kabul while there's, that door has been opened up. So let's do it. So is that the whole Pakistan, or is that like just the like the CIA, like is that, is that like the ISI who's like behind those rockets, or is it just? Man, I I mean the I I think I don't know I don't know enough about the internal politics of of Pakistan. I know like Benazir Bhutto, she's the daughter of not Zulfi Carr. I know there was it, another, there was President Bhutto in like the seventies. Yeah. Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, I think, was his name. And she's like also the first woman president. So mm -hmm. similar with Andira that there's big, big beef there. And I, I'm and I know that the the ISI later on is just off doing its own yeah. <laughs> doing its own thing, pursuing yeah. its own agenda. And so I would not doubt if this was just like ISI just kinda of being like, Yeah, you know, we still have a shit ton of money and guns. Yeah. So we're gonna we don't really care what you say, you know. <laughs> we don't need you to approve this, you understand? <laughs> Late 1990, uh, Osama moves his business back to Jeddah, basically as soon as, or soon after Hussein invades. Moves his business back to Jeddah, assembles a coalition of Saudi and Yemeni volunteers to fight the socialist-slash-Marxist government in Yemen. And they're almost immediately apprehended by the Yemeni government yeah. upon crossing the border, who then yeah. complain to Saudi Arabia, and Osama is summoned to meet with Interior Minister Prince Naif. And he meet, I think he, he meets with uh, Turkey Al-Faisal as well and other members of the Saudi royal family. And while he meets with them, he's pushing for a meeting with King Fahd. He's boasting he has 60,000 men at his disposal. And he goes as far as to say, like, I don't need weapons. I just need sanction. Yeah. You know, and he's decrying the joint U.S. Saudi operation against Iraq and Saddam. And he wants to fight both in Yemen and in Kuwait. And Prince Turkey notes, like during this period, that like Osama bin Laden has changed. He has got a big head. And he goes as far as to tell him there are no caves in Kuwait. They're outnumbered. The Iraqi army is approximately one million guys. We don't have that. You're a madman. You're gonna get wiped out. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's like. It's the Mujahideen, like mm -hmm. it's basically what he has. They're like kind of a Mujahideen-like force, and that's on like the Yemi, Yem, Yemeni border that he uh -huh. wants to bring the fight. The fucking tanks that fucking <laughs> Iraq has. He's yes. battle hardened. Also, yeah. fresh fresh off like the Iraq Iran war, which is yeah. crazy enough in itself. Uh -huh. Veteran ass troops, uh -huh. <laughs> and he wants to he wants to send his jihadis. To do like guerrilla tactics, in like, a, in a in a place where there are no caves, apparently. Yeah. Like, in a place know. in a place where he's never fight, and it, it, it yeah. it's not the terrain. You don't know the topography. The you, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it's it is to them. It sounded he had like a couple meetings with a couple of different people. Yeah, yeah, because he is a part of that upper royalty crust. Yep, they let him in, and he and they they were like, I remember them saying that they were nice. They were like, maybe you know not. Cause he's still a somebody. Yeah. And, but they, but they were like, no, don't. Yeah, don't no, come here gonna... with this crazy shit, dude. Like, what do you, you, you? Real politic. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. Real politic. They're... This out, big dog. <laughs> oh, once he walked out the room, they were like, do you know this fucking guy? Yeah. <laughs> Who the fuck is Isn't isn't this Mohammed bin Laden's kid? Yeah. What is yeah. what is he doing? You know, yeah. who is this guy again? What the right? fuck is he? Yeah, because they're all like. All the Saudi like upper crust royalty people are are the upper crust of the Saudi people who have those positions are like, 
they're all like a lot of them are Western educated. Yeah. And they like they do a lot of kowtowing to like uh, at this time to like the more Wahhabist uh, fundamentalist uh, strain. Uh, yeah. Specifically the 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 religious like hierarchy. Yeah. Um, but like they're all like very kind of westernized themselves. Yeah. Almost, <laughs> like and they're just like I don't really believe the Mujahideen could take on the Iraqi, Iraqi army. Why don't we just send the US? I yeah. know they can blow this shit up immediately. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the fucking Ah, but now, but now you've got the you've now you've got the crusaders in the Holy Land. Yeah. No, but they got their they got their shit from uh from from the blind shake. Mhm. So they should be good from the from the they, I they mean, got they, they got, got they they're sanctioned by the blind yeah. shake yeah you know yeah he's re- they're ready to go and it's like in- no but but the, you, the the crusaders have have tanks yeah they, <laughs> they're they, pretty good you know yeah they they got it from Ben Baz and Ben Bob Ben Baz was like how will they get their tanks here across the flat earth mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the flat earth the earth that is flat shake Ben Baz come on baby. you see as soon as you sail far enough to the to the east. You're just gonna fall into the massive abyss of space, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. sort of like it's the gravity that holds both sides of the discs together. Yeah. But everybody knows if you sail too far in either direction, you fall into the into the the horrifying nebula. It's like that final scene in Space Odyssey, yeah. you know, where the dude's just kind of like floating through through psychedelic space, and he's experiencing the horror of of time and space condensed. Yeah all at once and then he's rebirthed as like a cosmic space alien. That's what happens if the US were to were to send its tanks to, to the Persian Gulf. I don't know if you know. I don't even I lost you lost <laughs> me in the middle of that big dog. I'm, I was so confused. I'm happy I was able to pull that off. Like, what? Big dog? I was like, what big dog? All right. <laughs> it's a good movie. I would just recently watched it the other day. It was pretty it's pretty sweet. I'm catching I'm catching up on, <laughs> on all the films I gotta watch, all right? That's what I'm doing. By March of 1991, Hussein's forces are in retreat. There's a bunch of like Soviet-made T-55 and T-72 tanks that are recovered by like a joint CIA Saudi Arabian U.S. military operation. They're like, "Hey, we got these cool Soviet tanks. These are pretty sweet, huh? You know, yeah. get a picture of me in it. <laughs> Do I look good, honey? <laughs> you know." Yeah. May of 1991, rounding out the letter of demands is given to King Fahd, I believe, from like the Ulema or Ulama which is like the highest religious caste, and they're given to King Fahd. They're like quasi-democratic reforms, also coupled with some elements of Islamic fundamentalism. They call for like equal distribution of public wealth, so good thing. And then the supremacy of Islamic law, funding for Islamic institutions, religious control of the media, and a consultative body to the royal family, presumably from, I guess you would consider them the legislative class, right? Yeah, uh, as like a check to make sure that they're that the royal they want basically they want it's similar to France I guess or similar to France during the revolution that they want kind of a body around the monarchy to advise them but also to keep them in check and they want an entry into this uh, now I'm into not into the upper crust uh, I is the the I think that's the Al Shura is what it's called mm. and uh, what what the thing that is like the thing that comes after this the, that is. That is like the legislative body. I'm pretty sure that they don't have like any like they can make laws without mm-hmm. their say, but mm-hmm. it, I'm pretty sure the the yeah it's, it's still top down as far as you can. Yeah, and it, it yeah it's it's a the uh, the Juhamin uh, kind of attack on the on the grand mm-hmm. on the grand mosque. Some of the stuff that he was talking about was like redistributive. It's it's a hmm. lot of the stuff. If this is the Shia uprising that ha- happened in '79, uh, all of, a lot of the stuff that's happening, it, it always has a, a kind of a piece about hey, there needs to be more redistribution of the wealth. Uh. It, but then also they'll have like their own. That's that's always a component, and then there's also whatever you know, whether it's Sa- the Saudi Arabia is majority Sunni. Yes, majority Sunni. So okay. The Shia are so the, very I didn't. I didn't know that that component. There's the Shia, the so like a minority religious group is the Utebi uprising. I didn't know that. No, oh, no, it's, it's it, uh, no, it's not. It's not the Utebi uprising. is not part of the Shia. I'm just naming oh. there are different uprisings. Like the, oh, okay. there's also okay. a Shia uprising that happened in '79. Okay. That's particularly worrying because of Iran in '79. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To, I to see. I see. Saudi yeah. government. Yeah, but there's. If you, yeah, I see how that could be really bad or look really bad to Saudi Arabia 
Yeah, being like, that year, that that mm-hmm. the same year. And now, oh. now, now she like Shia just came to power in Iran, and now we also have a Shia uprising in '79. Oh shit, you know. It, it's it it's it, it, yeah. There were all these different things going on, but they also always had like this like, hey, this not a good distribution of the wealth in this country. Is also mm-hmm. something that was always said. Hmm. Interesting. So there's a round of arrests naturally in the, in the couple of things <laughs> that I in the things that I've looked yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. Make sure. <laughs> With the round of arrests, uh, the Saudi royal family is trying to make it seem not quite like a super brutal crackdown, right? Like they're meeting with prominent people arrested and kind of negotiating. Gary Schroen, who is a CIA agent who put in a lot of footwork in Pakistan and Afghanistan, he's the guy, I believe, who initially distributed the Stinger missiles in 1986. Schroen, in 1981, pops up in Riyadh. He's talking to Prince Turkey al-Faisal, warning about radicalism. And then from here, uh, Osama bin Laden is basically kind of pressured by the Saudi royal family at this point. He's told subsequently that he has to leave the country. And so... uh, There was a moment where he... I think he says something specifically against the, like, Saudi Arabian, like, the hierarchy, like, against the Saudi royal family. Uh And that's, like, part of the reason why they're like... No, now you're just speaking against us. You're not yep. talking about the U.S. You're not talking about any Satan everywhere else. You're yep. talking about the far Satan being the U.S. and the near Satan mm-hmm. being the U.S. the the Saudi the Saudi the Saudi Saudi royal family. Yeah, and that's the point where they're like, that's where they're like, you gotta go, fam. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they it's not like it's not like the reason they kicked him out was because the U.S. told him to. They had already been like, yeah, yeah, this guy kind of pissing us off lately. Yeah. so fuck yeah. you, you gotta get out of here, <laughs> <Yeah>. dude. <laughs> You're drunk. <laughs> Go, Go home. home. <laughs> <laughs> 1992, Osama bin Laden relocates his family, him and his family, and Al-Qaeda to Sudan. One of the properties he has is called Soba Farm, and he devotes himself initially primarily to agriculture. He's got another, I think, I don't know if Soba Farm is north of Khartoum or if he had another farm north of Khartoum. He had a lot of land in yeah. Sudan. Let me put it that way. He even as a company... And just a lot of connections and levers that he can pull. He has a company that imports machinery from Eastern Europe and Russia called Al Qadarat. So even like the Russia trade, the hot 90s Russia trade that's going on, mm-hmm. the looting of the state. Yeah. Osama bin Laden gets a taste of that, you know. Um, I, just, I just want a little taste. A little taste of that, you know. Yeah, you got some You got some Soviet era tractors you're trying to jump on. Nobody wants these anymore. I'll take them, man. I'm try- I got this farm I'm trying to pop off, you know. And he's still involved with Al-Hijira, which is his construction company. And then if anyone wants to look into it, Wadi El-Akik is the holding company, Akik with Qs. And there's like very eccentric investments as well going on. Like he was not framed as a great (laughs) business person. He would just kind of float from thing to thing. Like at one point he gets involved, he wants to buy like a bunch of soap making equipment. Yeah. You know, pop into artisanal artisanal soaps. Yeah, it does. Get that off. Uh, leather tanning. Because, you know, his big, big leather, t- booming leather tanning business in the in the 90s. At one point, he's like, one of his connections tells him that, that they have a connection for a bunch of a bunch of Azerbaijani bikes. And so he just buys a bunch <laughs> of, which people don't ride bikes in the Sudan. So he's just like, I'm, I'm in the bike game now. That sounds like you, you got I'm all scammed, about dog. bicycles. <laughs> okay. I got an Azerbaijani bike. I got an Azerbaijani, Azerbaijani bike. I'm gonna sell you, but uh-huh. once I sell you that, I really want you to invest in this beachfront condo in Iowa. Yeah, I really <laughs> like a lot of those vibes. No, maybe maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a MLM. Like, listen, I've got all. Maybe it's a package deal. Like, I I have spent so much time making these artisanal soaps. That will you buy in at the low low price? You buy your buy in for my inventory of, of soaps is is ten thousand dollars included with that Azerbaijani bicycles, mm-hmm. right? You get a free Azerbaijani built bicycle with your ten thousand dollar buy in to my soap emporium. All just right? watch. By this. the way, my name is Osama bin Laden, right? Just watch. This, like, there's there's a there's somebody on here's like. These fucking idiots don't know. Azerbaijani Jike bikes are some of the best bikes in the entire world. Wait, wait, what? You're telling me he got 
Azerbaijani bikes? <laughs> Holy shit. You know, I didn't Holy know anything shit. about this, right? Like, no, you know what those trade at? Oh, my God. The value yeah. those things hold over years, right? Azerbaijan invented bikes. Then you got some super cool hipster, and it's like, oh, you know, I really prefer the Georgian the Georgian bikes. I really think the Georgian bikes are better than the uh, Azerbaijani bikes. Get a good, uh, good, good reputation, but they don't really hold up, hold up well on the roads. You know, if you get a good bike lane and a good Georgian bicycle, you'd be going for miles, man. Uh, and on that note, <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to buy some artisanal soaps, man? I just gotta, I gotta offload all these and, artisanal okay, soaps. And on that note, that's been the first part, uh, the first, first episode of our. Our little series on, on Osama bin Laden. Thank you, Henry, for doing the research. I appreciate you. Um, uh, guys, thank you for listening. Come back next time for that spicy little part two. You know mm-hmm. where you can mm-hmm. you can find us on our social medias. You know that. Joshua B. Stokes. Mm-hmm. Henry, 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 Henry's got Henry, what's your social media? I'm just Henry Price, man. I'm just uh, I'm just I'm just I'm just here. I'm is here your name Henry time. E. Price now? Yeah. It's Did you change it to it's mimic Did you change it that you mimic I just now realizing you're mimicking my whole thing. Yeah, I did. I, I took it. I took it. You son of a bitch. All right. <laughs> All right. You guys can find me at uh, Eighth Wonder on Sunday, back of the bus on Thursday. Uh, we'll see you. We love you. We'll see you next time, okay? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. See you. Mm-hmm. Peace. Peace.